episode start, and Matthew Klippenstein are back again for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's weekly podcast about the hottest news and most interesting stories in the clean tech field, focused especially on electric vehicles and solar energy. Check in weekly via cleantechnica.com, SoundCloud, or iTunes to get your electric fix. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Matthew Klippenstein, here with Nicholas Zart. How are things, Nicholas? Hey, Matthew. Happy New Year. Thanks. Everything is fine here. You know, we got snowed in in Savannah, Georgia, which is really strange. It never happens. And in fact, the, the weather presenter was giggling. She was saying, this is the first time I've owned gloves in my entire life. So we, we saw some pretty interesting things out there, and we couldn't fly out, and we finally made it back to Los Angeles, and well, the weather is, let's say, much better. So all is well here. We had some audio difficulties last week and just now, so we had to scrap the entire show, or one and one quarter shows, despite the fact that I got a new microphone to help with the audio quality, which is probably a good way to introduce Clean Technica's new Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash cleantechnica. If you can support us, please do so. And even if you can't, we'll still try to keep you entertained and informed. Reviews on iTunes are almost as good as Patreon bucks. Uh, don't tell Zachary I said that. So please give us a review there to make it easier for others to discover us. We did have a two-star review recently from Ali K asking us to ensure we're not misstating names. So um, Ali, I tried to avoid trying to pronounce your last name in the event that I mispronounced it. Point well taken, though. Yeah, you guys all deserve 100% accurate information, and uh, we are committed to trying to deliver that. How about uh, you start us off? I guess this would be the third time now. Hey, Nicholas. Well, you know what they say, third time is the lucky charm, right? I, so I it, so hope so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Technology, you got to love it. So the, the first story we have, and hopefully we'll pronounce it well, is from China. And actually, come to think of it, all the stories I'm going to talk about are from China. So it's going to be an interesting view that we're bringing into the Western world here is how China goes about the electrification of its mobility and uh, renewable energy. So we start off with Shenzhen. Shenzhen is one of the big uh, city in China. And if you remember a few months ago, we talked about how the city decided to electrify its public transportation. No small feat because it was 16,359 buses that basically are now electric buses. BYD, the famous electric vehicle maker in China, uh, has its headquarters in Shenzhen, so it makes a lot of sense that they would do that. Nonetheless, this almost pales in comparison to what they want to do next, which is to convert or actually change 17,000 taxis to be switched over to electricity. You know, it's really impressive when you think about it. 16,359 buses now electric, and they did it. Next, 17,000 taxis that have to become electric. And I'm always impressed with the no-quarter approach China takes when it decides to do something. Now, of course, there are no perfect countries anywhere, right? I mean, we're not perfect here either. No one's perfect. And, and, and China certainly has its own problems and everything. Yes, it's the biggest polluters and human rights have problems. But, you know, all over the world there are problems. So I do tip my hat because it is a country that once it decides to do something, it does it. And it has no problem doing it over decades. And if you think about it, what's happening right here is really the continuation of what they undertook back in 2003, which was an initiative to start producing alternative energy vehicles, which, by the way, today actually means just electric cars, hybrid, plug-in hybrids, and 
course, pure electric cars. So it's starting to pay off. We're starting to see what's happening. Again, it's a wonderful way of showing that despite the different maybe two governments that China had in the past six, 17 years, it is able to continue on the same trajectory. And that's something I really like about these countries. They know how to stick it through, you know, until they reach their goals. And something I hope the West can get around to uh, hopefully sooner than later. What do you think? Yeah, I think if you, I think a lot of Clean Technica readers and listeners of this podcast enjoy the fact that some countries, Scandinavian countries especially, have long-term industrial policy where government works with industry to say, what are the core areas where we can be brilliant, where we can lead the world, and then pursue that for decades or longer at a time. Japan does this as well. In fact, it seems like most countries outside of North America seem to do it to one extent or another. Maybe, maybe the United Kingdom doesn't do it either. But China certainly has adopted this approach of having an industrial policy, wanting to promote growth where it can lead or even leapfrog the West and other countries with their homegrown industry. The sticking point, of course, is the human rights, democratic rights, things of that sort, which are kind of key. Yeah, they are kind of key. I would argue that they're even more important, but uh, hopefully there is a way by which, by pressure or by persuasion, the Chinese government can be made to open up and grant more um, basic human rights to people. I would want to just uh, also note that there's a strategic element to China's betting on batteries and electric vehicles, which is that it's now the world's largest oil importer. And as it gets wealthier, it's only going to consume even more oil. And so a way of reducing the amount of increase in their imports and eventually reducing their imports, eventually reducing their oil use, is to invest heavily into electric vehicles because, as the United States has discovered over the years, it's kind of a tricky world to be in when you're the world's largest oil importer. Uh, you have to play nice with all sorts of terrible autocratic regimes just to make sure you have fuel. And so there's a strategic element to China's decision. And for once, I actually applaud the wholesale electrification strategy because it happens to align very nicely with my own environmental and sustainability ideals. Yeah, you know, Matthew, you said something that actually uh, I found very interesting is you're right. Yeah, human rights is not really good in China, but I highly encourage all of our readers and listeners to look into human trafficking because that is the one human rights problem that we have all over the planet. And even here in the United States, specifically where I live in Los Angeles, we are at one of the biggest hubs of human trafficking. So, you know, we did away with slavery about, what, 100, 200 years ago? It's still happening right now in our backyards, right under our noses. So again, it always goes back to, you know, no country is perfect and we really need to uh, be aware of that and everything. But you're also very right. The electrification of mobility all over the world is a multi-pronged approach. We're not going to stop using uh, gasoline or diesel. Cities are still going to buy uh, diesel buses. However, they're not going to buy as many as they did in the past. As now, you can see, you know, more and more hybrid buses running around. My city, actually, I was on the maiden ride of the electric BYD bus. That was almost six months ago. And it is happening. Those bus, by the way, they are actually running. I did actually jump on one of them not too long ago, two days ago, two, three days ago. And it is exciting to see. But yes, we're seeing more and more of that. And it is a multi-pronged approach. It is a, we'll use less diesel. We'll, we'll still use coal, but we'll use less of it. 
we're still using CNG, but we're going to use less of it as renewable energy progresses. And by the way, one of the greatest things that you have to go on Clean Technica and read all the reports that we have, renewable energy is doing pretty well in the U.S. despite the shenanigans of our modern day politics here because business doesn't care. There is a business model around renewable energy and it is happening. So very lastly, I'm very glad you brought up Scandinavia because it is the exception in the Western world. These countries are, of course, they're very small countries, but they work really well together. And uh, despite some pretty cold weather in the winter, and I know it's not all year long, they still manage to have a lot of electric vehicles. So they are the proof of concept that it can work, it needs to work, and it has to happen. So excited about all this. Thank you very much for that, uh, Nicholas. Indeed, here in Canada, the living standards, the lifespan, life in general for our First Nations, the, the people who were here before Europeans, is worse than terrible. Uh, a lot of places don't even have clean drinking water. It's like, it's like Flint, Michigan, really. And Canada has a good reputation, but there is definitely a dark and, I guess if you're religious, you might say sinful aspects to the, uh, the life that Canada enjoys, even though it has a good reputation. As you're saying, it's commenting on China's poor human rights record does not in any way excuse us for uh, not ensuring that marginal groups, especially the ones who are most likely to fall through the cracks, uh, we have to make sure that in our own backyards, we are um, behaving up to the standards that we aspire to. Here, here. <laughs> so Leslie, I want to introduce something that we're very excited about this. We've been thinking about it for, for many years. We've been observing China. And obviously, it's a sort of a sticky topic because human rights, yada, yada, yada. But also China, despite being the biggest polluter, also does a lot with renewable energy, with you know electric mobility and everything. So after years of watching it, and finally, we've come to the conclusion that despite its flaws, as, as with any countries in the world, despite its flaws, it does actually do good things. And it does actually great things when it comes to renewable energy. So we're proud to introduce our Chinese clean tech newsletter, and of course, much, much more to come with it. So what it is, is basically go to our site, look for China X clean tech, and you'll see our newsletter. And what this is, we really concentrate and focus on China. And, you know, we highlight one to three Chinese companies, uh, Chinese car companies, specifically, of course, you know, electric vehicles, so that you get a sense of what is happening over there. And when they finally do come out to the West, at least you will have heard of them, you will know what they are. But we also talk about renewable energy and much more. So in this very first edition, we cover the Neo ES8 with its uh, 70 kilowatt hour battery pack, 221 miles, which is 355 kilometers range, has actually a really great drag coefficient of 0 0.29, a 480 kilowatt, 840 newton meter torque, which is 620 foot pound of torque, 0 to 60 in 4.4 seconds, and all-wheel drive. So Matthew, what does this, and by the way, it's an SUV sort of thing, what does this want to compete with, I ask you? Uh, I don't know, like a minivan maybe, or? Um... <laughs> no, the Tesla Model X. Oh, so, yes, of, so course. of course, of course, right? Another Tesla killer. But <laughs> in, in, in many ways, you know, we've seen so many Tesla killers over the years, and some of them kind of come close to it and everything. I'm not really sure if the Neo ES8 is the Tesla killer, but it definitely is a Model X alternative if and when, and most likely when, it will come over to our shores. So anyway, the China X Clean Tech newsletter, and tell us what you think. Give us some uh, suggestions, and we definitely welcome your common feedback. 
Yes, and we'll, we'll make sure to have that link prominently featured in the show notes. So please head on over to Clean Technica. You can search for Clean Tech Talk to make sure that you have a chance to see this newsletter. It's a very cool thing. Going on then, the two stories I want to cover today, one of them is kind of evergreen. The other one is a little Canadian achievement to celebrate. And wanting to finish on a high note, I'll go with the first one right now. I'm calling it the specter of premature triumphalism. What I'm saying is that, to borrow from Marx, there is a specter haunting cleantech right now, or at least enthusiasts like ourselves. It is the specter of premature triumphalism. Clean tech has grown, and that's awesome. Uh, we've got momentum, that's even better. And it's okay to celebrate a little bit before the job is done, but we do have to do the rest of the job. To borrow from Churchill now, it's not the end of fossil fuels, and it's not even the beginning of the end of fossil fuels. And fossil fuel consumption is still increasing, coal accepted. Maybe even coal might have increased, depends what the Chinese figures are. At best, this is the end of the beginning. So we need to make sure that as enthusiastic as we are, we keep in mind that this is just a super ultra Ironman marathon kind of a deal. And we are still at maybe mile one. I'm thinking of blaming Ray Kurzweil for this. He's the futurist. I think he's uh, Google's chief futurist right now. He's had a lot of popularity. I think there's even been a movie about him. And he popularized this idea that going from 0% to 1% is half the battle because it takes as long to go from 0% to 1% as from 1% to 100%. And I think he said this in the context of mapping the human genome for which this actually applied. And it applied largely because of computational power. And the problem with that thinking and the confidence that derives for us is that it really, really doesn't work in the real world outside of this very narrow band of silicon, of computation. The first 1% is almost always the absolute easiest 1% because you have early adopters who don't care about economics as much or who are really enthusiastic about a topic and just make the switch. It's important to have data to back up if you're, uh, if you're being critical of a figure like Ray Kurzweil. So I was able to dig up an article from February 2008. It was in Live Science, where he said that since solar and wind had reached the threshold of 1% of world energy, by the year 2028, solar alone would provide 100% of our energy. Well, we're here in 2018, and there's no way that solar provides all of our world energy in 2028. That's a pipe dream. And it's a dangerous one if we get kind of overconfident and assume it'll just happen. One of the reasons this won't work is because the amount of capital it would take to build the facilities just to build all the solar panels and all the batteries that would be required for the, the storage, that would consume enormous oceans of capital and people want to do other things too. Just to take a couple other examples, conventional hybrids went from about 0% to 1% of the market in maybe 25 years. The first Prius came out in December 1997, around the time of the Kyoto uh, meetings, the Kyoto Accord. And they probably hit 1% of the total market in about 2010, 2012, so that's about 25 years. By that logic, all vehicles will be conventional hybrids by the year 2037. That's not going to happen, fortunately. A lot of them will be pure electric, will be zero emission. But even then, even Bloomberg and other optimistic data sources are saying, you know, maybe half of the uh, automotive fleet in the world uh, will be uh, zero emission by that year absent every government everywhere banning combustion engines. And that, again, only applies to new car sales, right? On another level, I was vegetarian for a number of years. Uh, when I met my wife, we met halfway, and so we eat 
chicken and fish occasionally, no red meat. And apparently, uh, 2% or so of Americans are vegetarian or vegan. I'll take any bet on 100% of Americans going vegetarian or vegan by any date. Doesn't seem like it's likely to happen to me. It's, it's again, one of these things where that first percent, in this case, 2% is probably going to be the easiest. And thinking you're going to win just because you get that far really does not benefit the cause. Now, this is a downer and totally get that. Totally get that it's uh, annoying, but we don't want to get this premature triumphalism involved. We can celebrate, you know, we can totally high five about the fact that Shenzhen is going to have all electric buses and cabs, your mass transport basically being fully electric. And that's great, but we can't take our eye off the ball and we can't stop our advocacy until we actually get to 100% because otherwise we're going to stop and stagnate at the levels that we're at and no one really wants that, right? Nicholas, I shouldn't totally dominate the conversation here. Um, uh, your thoughts? No, I think you're, you're right. And I think, like we said, it really is a, a multi-pronged approach. It, it is really just a question of balancing everything out. And we still, I mean, the way the industry is designed and geared and the business model is what it is. It makes money the way it does. And I think we just, like a heroin addict, basically, in a nutshell, you have to wean yourself off. We have to wean ourselves off of, of petroleum products. And it's going to happen by just throttling back slowly by introducing renewable energies, which we have. Like you said, 20 years ago, we had the Honda Inside and the Toyota Prius. And well, today, guess what? We have more electric vehicles. We have more hybrids. We have more plug-in hybrids. And it is that multi-pronged approach. I don't think there's any one solution that is perfect. And as long as people keep on educating themselves, as long as people keep on being curious, then that's really what drives it forward. And you're right. We should not be complacent. We should still continue to engage, continue to learn so that we can actually, you know, have, have intelligent conversations at parties. So yeah, good points. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, there was a story about a Silicon Valley party that hit uh, recently that uh, maybe we'll get into in another episode, but we kind of want to keep a, uh, a G rating on iTunes. <laughs> but yes, that's, that's a perfect word. Complacency. I guess complacency was the word I ultimately want to find. That's a perfect word because we have to enjoy our successes. We don't want to get depressed and lose our enthusiasm, but we cannot afford to get complacent because the world doesn't change unless we work to change the world. And the worst thing that would happen would be to say, oh, Norway is 52% hybrid or electric vehicles, percentage of new car sales. We win. Because that's just not the case. You know, Norway's a special case for a variety of reasons, a variety of awesome reasons. But we want to keep the foot on the accelerator, as it were, of clean energy, of renewable energy, of sustainability, because goodness knows the momentum of all the pollution that we're emitting right now is also kind of on the accelerator. We need to catch up, overtake that, and bring ourselves into balance, into a sustainable um, state. So on an upside, the second story here, it's a Roger Bannister moment for EV charging access. The link here is that once Roger Bannister ran a four-minute mile, I think it's 1954, all of a sudden, a whole lot of other people started to do that because it was suddenly possible. I guess apparently the four-minute mile was considered unbreakable or unattainable, and maybe that, that mental block was keeping athletes from surging past that, and yet he did so. And again, once he did so, suddenly, hey, we can actually do this. Everyone else starts to do so as well. And so I had a story in Green Car Reports, uh, some really amazing news coming out of the Vancouver suburb of Richmond. 
the city council there passed a bylaw, which was a total credit to the local electric vehicle community. Two volunteers from the Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association worked with city council over a while, and they have now passed a zoning bylaw requiring energized level two infrastructure for 100% of parking spaces in all new multi-unit residential buildings, basically all new apartment buildings, all new condo towers, even townhouse or row house complexes with a shared garage. So on day one, when you move in, there is an energized level two circuit. It's just so awesome because in big cities, the trend everywhere is towards densification, you know, moving people into townhouses, into condos, because you can fit more people Works for the city, more tax revenue per square foot, cheaper to provide services that way, more space for parks. And this is the first time that any city council has passed a law saying that not just 20% of parking spaces with the ability to later add in the other 80%. This actually is 100% of parking spaces on day one, which is so awesome. Yeah, this is, Matthew, I I think we can't overstate how important this is because this is also a way of telling our local cities, which by the way, I highly encourage all of our listeners and readers to go to the city town hall meetings and to say, hey, look, Canada is actually doing it. Richmond and British Columbia are telling every new multi-unit dwelling needs to be wired for EV charging. It needs to have a level two 240 volt plug ready to accept a charger. And I think that is so important, so amazing because in my city here in Long Beach, California, can't remember exactly, but I think it's only 5 to 10% of the spaces are required to have either a charging station or electrification. I think we need to be much more than that. We need to have 100% of them need to be wired. It doesn't mean installing charging stations everywhere, but it does mean that we need to plan for the future. These dwellings stay for at least 30, 50 years, and by then, we will have electric cars everywhere. And it also reminds me that same thing should happen for parking uh, lots, by the way, parking lots that we find in strip malls and everywhere outside. We should never put the wires at the end or at a corner of the uh, the parking lot, put it in the middle, dead smack in the middle of the parking lot, because then it's easy to stretch everywhere and to reach every parking slot. So this is really huge news. And I, I'll, I'll definitely go back to that story and quote it as much as I can, uh, whether it's online or it's at parties, because that makes a lot of sense. And again, it shows that, hey, these guys are doing it. It's possible. We can do it locally. So the city of Richmond has done this, and now another Vancouver suburb, Port Coquitlam, is considering it. It's already on the docket for the city council's decision-making. That should happen in the next couple months. And Vancouver itself is now hoping to implement the same rule by March. So you have this effect where, again, I can't overstate the, uh, the two uh, Viva volunteers. I'm not going to mention the names in case I mispronounce them. <laughs> Tip to you, Ali. Um, <laughs> but the, the work that the, uh, the two volunteers did and the city of Richmond had commissioned an engineering study and the engineering study concluded that if you had 100% level two access with an energy management system, so basically you don't have to have 100 different circuits for 100 parking stalls, but you have like one ginormous circuit which can allocate costs or balance the charging needs overnight because no one, not everyone's going to need six or 10 kilowatts overnight all at the same time, right? Maybe a few people might, but most people just need a slow top up. So they found that 100% level two access with an energy management system would cost no more than dedicated level one circuits for 100% of the parking stalls. So here's the case where technology, energy management systems in this case, allow the level two solution to undercut or at least compete 
very well with the lower technology, brute force, old school approach. And so Again, going back to the Roger Bannister analogy, Richmond's doing it. I asked them if I should write an email to my local city council here in Burnaby, another suburb of Vancouver, and they say it's in play there. So that's fantastic. And there is model legislation attached to the story. Uh, there's a link you can find with, uh, with the names of the volunteers who can would be absolutely delighted to help other people out, where they basically said, this is the model legislation, you can approach your city council, this should be relatively seamless with respect to many city codes that they've heard of. You know, think of it as the progressive and environmentally minded version of ALEC, that super obstructionist uh, conservative group who <laughs> makes their own pro-fossil fuel legislation. Well, this is kind of a piece of model legislation, model zoning bylaw that the electric vehicle community has put together that will hopefully make it easier for other cities to also adopt this approach, which is very catalytic. It's something that, again, hopefully we get lots and lots of other cities uh, signing up to. And Matthew, I mean, again, it, it really is important use because it, it tackles two fundamental problems that we have with the way we conduct business and politics in general is everything is short-sighted in the West. Everything is four years, five years, but this looks down the road because all of these new dwellings, it's going to cost a lot of money for HOAs to install the circuitry, to install charging stations, but this makes it already ready and capable to do that. And like you said, feasible too, because it's actually cheaper to hardwire them directly for level two from the get-go, from the ground up, instead of doing it much later. It just makes so much sense. And I don't understand why more cities or all the cities should have that in place. It just makes no sense that we're still um, squabbling on, on 5, 10, 15%. No, 100%. It's the way it's going anyway. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, something that Canada can actually export of high value back to China, seeing as they produce all of our um, high-tech goods, it seems. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, uh, so, yes, it would be pretty cool if Shenzhen, which is already all electric buses, all electric taxis in a short time frame, I'm sure they have a lot of condo uh, buildings up there, high rises. It's 12 million people. It's a big city. And again, maybe going back to that whole complacency thing and not wanting to prematurely be triumphalist. This is great. We've got a little breakthrough here. Now what we have to do is carry the ball that other 99 yards down the field or the other 99.9% of cities which have a decent number of condos and we advance that as far as we can and then maybe we can start to think about codes where when people rebuild a new house they have to have a, a level 2 charger that's in place in Vancouver and many other places and then see if there's a lower cost way of doing these retrofits for existing built infrastructure because we don't want to wait another 30 years for, a, for an existing building to come down before we can provide that access to everyone. We want that cleaner air, lower pollution, lower CO2 levels right now. So yeah, it's, uh, it's very promising and it's a great way to kick off 2018 with our listeners because goodness knows having environmental interests has been kind of depressing for the last lifetime really of mine at least. And there are so many bright little sparks which look like they have the possibility to reverse that trend or already reversing that trend. And we just have to make sure that we, uh, we support them to make sure that that uh, long desired reversal happens. I know I say this almost every time, but it's exciting to see what has happened in the last uh, decade and how far we've come along. We're, we're, I think we're even beyond what we thought was possible. I mean, yes, we were a little optimistic, hoping that all cars would be electric within five years. But considering what there is, considering what is happening, it's really exciting to see where we are and to see that other countries are moving in and to see what some countries do well, what some countries don't do well. And, and that's what makes the uh, discussion lively. And that's what gets us going in the end. Mm -hmm. That is so true. So 
uh, maybe that can be our uh, Happy New Year's um, celebratory uh, opening for all of our listeners. Happy New Year. Some great news here. We will continue to track that. Meanwhile, uh, we want everyone else to be able to get on with their uh, productivity needs during the day. So thank you all for listening. We hope you had a safe commute and join us next week to get your electric fix. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful week and always enjoy your feedback, your thoughts and comments. Stay good care and keep learning. Keep being curious. 